0: This is American Real, where we aim to inspire, empower, and enlighten you through the stories of our guests. Here's your host, Roger Brooks. Is it likely that many people aren't trying to be evil per se? They're just not aware? Well the thing is even the powers that be,
1: you know, we think of the people like the Illuminati or the global league or the One Percent or whatever, you know, they themselves are just pawns in the hands of the archetype. There's an the archetypal higher dimensional process and people are just getting enlisted to play roles. So yeah, a lot of people, well meaning, good people, are just turning a blind eye and they're participating in the system and getting whatever it benefits and they're colluding. They're unwittingly in collusion with you with know, with what go with the evil that they're actually, you know, consciously trying to fight. People who are so possessed are oblivious. They oftentimes they never feel more than myself, and they just think they're acting on their own impulses.
0: This is American Real. I am Roger Brooks. My guest today is Paul Levy. You are a wounded healer in private practice and a pioneer in the field of spiritual. Emergence. Paul, welcome to the show.
1: Hi, I'm so happy to be here. Really, thank you so much for inviting me.
0: And man, I've I've really been looking forward to this conversation for a long time. We, um, we were introduced by a mutual friend, Anthony Brunelli or Tony Brunelli, who I've known my whole life and you've recently met. And we have this deep connection that goes beyond what I think Tony even told you. So, The first thing is I'm broadcasting here in the studio from Binghamton, New York. That's where you went to school. Uh, You went to school at Harper College back in the 70s. Tell us about your connection and a little bit about the time that you spent in Binghamton. Yeah, well, it's a major
1: part of my life in that I came into Binghamton one person and I exited a totally different person in that, you know, I was very academic coming in. And, um, and when I graduated, I realized I was a creative artist and I was, um, you know, really committed to following that path. And, um, but the, the shadow, I don't know, I hesitate to say shadow, but that's, a, I think that's the apt word. The shadow aspect of what happened in Binghamton is it was the, the time when I experienced this unbelievable trauma as I was individuating and, and separating from my family and stepping into being an artist, that was the very thing that catalyzed this, this trauma and, um, you know, I, I won't go into the story, but when I left Bington, I was deeply dealing with what had happened via that trauma and that catalyzed the whole trajectory of the rest of my life in a different way than I had planned, you know? So it was within a couple of years of, um, Thinking, uh, I was in so much pain as a result of the trauma and I had gone so deeply inwards into um, the pain and into my mind trying to unlock what was happening that uh, a couple years later I had a spiritual awakening that that almost killed me it was so over the top profound, and in essence I was realizing that we're having a collective dream and I was so excited that I got myself in deep trouble and within 24 hours, I got thrown into a mental hospital. And during those next almost two years, I was just a free agent out in the world who was having this life-transforming spiritual awakening, but I hadn't integrated it because it was so overwhelming. And so I had this tendency probably about four other times, three or four other times, to get myself thrown in mental hospitals and told I was crazy and had a mental illness and would need to be on pharmaceuticals. And I knew it couldn't have been made more clear to me, you know, um, that I was having a spiritual awakening. So I never for a second thought into that. But that experience that destroyed my entire family, you know, I haven't had a family for like 20 years or something like that. And, I mean, but I'm all good. I have like a huge, you know, friend group and soul family and spiritual community. But that was part of what happened the whole seed for that that started in things.
0: Man, and, and we'll get into that a little bit more, I'm sure, but um, the other connection I wanted to bring to your attention is that I went to school in Portland, Oregon, and that's where yours is. Oh my God, that's where I live right now, sure. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, so I, I, I spent uh, about six years in Portland. Um, that's where I feel that I kind of found myself. I, you know, I went as far across the country as I could uh, to actually leave Binghamton, and then after I got married uh, to my wife, who's from Binghamton, we moved back. But I also have a deep connection to Portland. And uh, just a, you know, it was an amazing time and it's a, wow. a really amazing place in our country. Right, totally. But um, Paul, I, I also wanted to tell you this morning before I came into the studio, I did something a little different than I normally do. I, I drove my car over to Recreation Park. Oh, wow. Which is on Beethoven Street. Right. And I just sat and thought and really just did nothing other than think. And I wanted to try to set the stage for today. And if you could tell us a little bit about your experience at Recreation Park here in Binghamton and how that may have changed your life or your life trajectory? Sure. Well, I
1: mean, there was a summer, an amazing summer. I think it was probably closer to when I was a senior, or maybe I was still, you know, or just finished or about to finish. And um, I was living in a house right across the street from from Rec Park. And every morning I get woken up by the carousel. And, um, you know, so that's one of my fondest memories. And I think, I'm pretty sure that's the first time that I took LSD. It's not that I do that a lot these days. Um, But I'm pretty sure, I I just remember like I was lying in the park on the grass and a friend of mine asked me, because I had a bunch of friends with me who were really curious to see my first trip on acid. And he was asking me, oh, has it come on yet? And I remember at that moment, I had totally melted into the earth and I was one with the universe. And it was just one of those questions that was just very, kind of very funny to me. So yeah, I have some real associations uh, to recreation park, for sure.
0: And you know, the, the other thing that, I have your book here, Dispelling Watico. I just started getting into it. Watico, and I would love for you to get into it to kind of set the stage for today's conversation, but basically from what I understand, it means the mind virus, correct?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's one of the meanings, you know, it's this Native American term and it really connotes, like, a, the spirit of evil. And it's sort of um, a spiritual disease of the soul. But one really good way of thinking about it is, like, this, this, this virus of the mind. And, you know, with all the talk about COVID and the coronavirus, um, you know, I've been pointing out, well, that the real virus, the deadly virus that's really threatening our species is the what you call mind virus. And, um, you know, so it, it operates through the unconscious. We all potentially have it. It exists in, in the collective unconscious of our species. And um, it only has power over us to the extent we don't see it. That's why my whole, you know, I have two other books coming out the next year on the mind virus, and I'm trying to point it out to people so that they can see it. Because when you see it, you take away its power and human power, you yourself know, itself. And um, what it does, so, you see, every spiritual tradition from time immemorial is pointing at Plotico. just not using that name. They're all describing it in one-of-a-kind of kind of way, very creatively, and also thinkers and philosophers and creative artists. They've all been pointing at its mind guard. And so it's not just, I'm just a translator. I just, you know, because I was experiencing it in my life. And, um, you know, in one, just to create context, when I mentioned the trauma that happened when I was in Bington and that created an enormous pain and suffering, and, you know, it's just over the top. That was my first direct experience of Watiko, though I didn't have the name. And then when I had the awakening and that, then I got thrown in mental hospitals and then I couldn't believe the insanity and the, the trauma, just the the how insane the, the mental health system is. And I realized, oh my God, that same dark energy that what people energy, though I didn't have the name for it then, was now in a different channel. It was operating not just through my family or through my father who is it's instrument, but now had shifted channels and was operating through psychiatry. And and the thing which was amazing, I began to understand that whenever I was trying to point at it, to point at the darkness, the evil that was coming through, be it the psychiatric system or my father, that the field, people in the field, in my family, friends, the psychiatrist, they would all configure to protect the abuser. And I just, couldn't believe that, but I began to recognize that was showing me something, that was teaching me about there was some sort of higher dimensional process that was unfolding through the the trauma and all the darkness. And so all of that, all of what I had went through on a personal experience with my family and having my family just destroyed, and then with psychiatry, in a way, that was my descent into the shamanic underworld Um, To help me understand what I had come up against because I was having a direct unmediated encounter with archetypal evil there was no question about that and um, But I was fortunate in that I was able to keep my awareness and keep my heart open and And more and more just creating maps and taking notes and understanding. Oh my god there's something that I'm seeing that every wisdom tradition has been pointing at that encoded in in the in whattico in the it's a quantum phenomena and what I mean by that is that it's the source of the greatest evil but encoded in it is its own medicine and not only its own medicine it actually is helping us it's helping us to wake up to who we are and to the nature of our world and our place in it so that's that's an amazing thing that whattico being a quantum phenomena is similar to like well you know what is the is light, a or a particle. Watiko contains the source of the greatest evil imaginable and it also has this incredible blessing. Um, like if, if Watiko didn't exist, if the mind virus didn't exist, we'd have to invent it. That's how important it is because it's catalyzing our evolution. But if we
0: don't have the recognition of what it's showing us, it'll destroy us. So, Paul, can you describe a little bit if you could go back to the, the first experiences, and can you just give us some idea of what was happening? Like what, how did you become aware of this? What, what was the spiritual awakening?
1: Like? Yeah, okay, so this spiritual awakening, there were a couple of components. So keep in mind, it all got catalyzed by just unbelievable deep pain and trauma. And that's typical of the shamanic archive. That, you know, the person, the would-be shaman healer, and I'm not any shaman, just I'm in my my dreams, my wild dreams, I'm a shaman, but I'm just an ordinary person, you know, my, my teachers, they're the shamans, but um, there was deep, deep pain and suffering. I went from a highly functioning person, you know, all throughout my life in high school, and I, you know, I was a really good student, all of a sudden the trauma happened, and I stopped me. I couldn't come with my life. It stopped me from living my life. It was so overwhelming. So it literally forced me to deal with it because I had no choice. And so then by going into my mind, you know, and just assuming the position of observer and trying to witness what was happening, that was the only thing I, I found that was helping the suffering. And then after almost like, I don't know, 18 months, 20 months, something like that, I got hit by a bolt of lightning, but not from the sky, but lightning just ignited inside of my brain. And um, and then within hours, I went into this extreme state in which I began to realize this is a dream. And just like being in a dream at night and, and having this lucid dream, I was having a lucid dream, but the dream that I was lucid in was this dream. And I was realizing, oh my God, we're all dreaming of this dream into materialization each and every moment. And, you know, that's why I was so excited and enthusiastic. And it was like having this radical personality change. And that's what, you know, my friend who actually I had met at he was me in the Bay Area, and he, he was so, you know, concerned, he brought me up, you know, I am going to the mental hospital. And so on the one hand, that was the first part of the experience, having the recognition of the dreamlike nature that we all characters in each other's dreams, they're not separate. But then as it unfolded and I got like thrown in mental hospitals and just abused by the by psychiatry, you know, and I can go into that. It was unbelievable nightmare, um, you know, what, what they did. But the essence was then I began to have a direct encounter with evil. And so it wasn't just like this awakening and it's all light and love and all that. I mean, that was at first, but then it was as if me connecting with that light then made me aware of these darker archetypal forces of evil. And um, and that's what I, um, you know, then had to come to terms with. And that's really um, the stuff. Uh, that uh, the material the, that I, out of which my work, my whole body of work on Artico, um, has emerged, from the experience, not only of the light but of the light.
0: so, Paul. Do, have you met or talked to any other people that have gone through the same or similar experiences? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, my my very best friend,
1: um. He had an awakening within a year or two that I did, right in the same place I did. And, and he's a scientist and he's like so brilliant and just, and he got the same thing thrown in mental hospitals and told him he was crazy. And and so when we met, and when the moment we met, he you know, was like, Oh, tell me about yourself. And I began, I right away was like, Oh, I had a spiritual awakening and he was thrown in mental hospitals. And you know, that's my opening line. That's like, you know, who I am really. Because at first I was so embarrassed by that and mortified by it, but then once I got to feel, I realized, no, this is like, I'm happy to share this. This is my own process. And he almost fell off his chair when I was saying that to him because that was his experience. And so, yeah, my best friend, but also I'm in private practice helping people who are going through similar experiences of having those first emergencies. And so many people all over the world are having experiences like this. And unfortunately, if they get in the clutches of psychiatry, they're going to probably be diagnosed and pathologized. And because they're in such a fragile state, as soon as authority figures see them as pathological, it's going to make them sick. And then once they become sick, that conforms the psychiatrist's viewpoint that they are sick, and it becomes a feedback loop. It's as if they're getting put under a spell by psychiatry. And there are literally people who were, you know, it's tragic. We were probably in backwoods wards of mental hospitals who were having spiritual emergencies but it didn't get recognized and they were failed initiation and they just got caught in the web of psychiatry. So I think there's so many people around the world who are, you know, seeing there's this is like, you know, there's something insane going on in the world with the like eco virus, it's a collective psychosis. So so many people are, are realizing there's something amiss, they're recognizing there's something there's evil happening, there's, there's collective insanity. And my work on Watiko is unbelievably helpful for people to create contact for not only seeing that, but how to deal with it and how to extract the
0: gift from it. So where do you get, where do you, how do you do your research and how do you, how are you able to write this book? You know, yeah. like, where did all of this come from?
1: Right, right. No, totally. And, and that's where, like, in the, I think in, in, the, in the back of the book, I had written the book, I had given it to the publisher, and, um, and then they said to me, oh, well, could you um, add a personal context to how were you able to author such a book? What gives you the authority to write about evil in the way you do? Because, you know, I have absolute authority in writing about it because it came from my own experience. And I don't need any outside validation or certification. And, um, you know, so I did. In the afterword of that book, I, I wrote about the initial experience. So I began having experiences, not only direct encounters with all type of evil, but also having these experiences that were so out of ordinary and so out of the bounds of what was considered possible, and actually experiences that were what I thought were impossible that were just happening and i began to understand Oh, and i'm still unpacking what was shown to me during the awakening that i was more and more like getting initiated into this dream and what that actually means and how um that is something that when you plug into that you know you connect with the fact that we, we are these creative beings and that we have this immense creative power. So it's interesting because me having this understanding and this experience of the incredible creativity that is going through me and it's going through all of us, it has to do with that encounter with evil. It's as if imprisoned in the darkness is our creative spirit. And if we turn away from it, then we become, you know, split and fractured and fragmented. And, and then we're not really able to tap into our source, which is the creative source of the universe. But there was something about the direct encounter with evil and the fact that not turning away from it, but you know, 24 seven, 40 years, I've been trying to unpack what came my way. And the more I integrate it, the more I'm just becoming a channel for you know, my books
0: So, and Paul, at a rudimentary level, we hear things like the dark night of the soul, or embrace the dark side. Is this kind of what you're uncovering here? Yeah, I mean, definitely, you know, the dark night of the soul,
1: because there's something in, you know, St. John of the Cross, the author of The Dark Night of the Soul, talks about the the reiterated death, and it's a dark, so some people think, oh, yeah, this weekend I'll get through my garden out of this hole or this um, this month or whatever. But the reiterated death is like, you just, it's like the dying and the death, you know, you just, it gets reiterated, you know, moment after moment, day after day, weeks, months, years. And I've been going through that. I've been going through that, you know, so profoundly, intensely. And um, yeah, you know, of course it's in, you know, popular culture to. with your shadow and all that and that's the personal shadow and absolutely i'm also talking about the archetypal shadow and just to associate for a second the experience i've been having the more closer i get to the light and to my light and to who i am what i notice is that the more the darker forces seem to be like amplified and trying to stop me or You know trying to attack me and so at first when this first began happening i you know i would interpret it like wow i'm really screwed up i really have a problem this is evidence of it but over the course of time i began to understand no no no, that's a sign that i'm on the right path of course it makes perfect sense when somebody is getting close to the light well what else would we expect but the darker forces who were invested in keeping the light in the dark are going to do everything they can to stop the person who's actually, you know, bringing forth the light. And that's a great way of, you know, framing, like reframing our experience. Because so many of us, as we're connecting with our creativity, with our compassion, with our light, there are, you know, these darker forces come up and we get, we feel a feel of resistance, we'll get distracted, and we get, we indulge in that. And it's a shame because then we, don't continue our unfoldment into our nature which is the, the nature of life and we, we we dissociate so i'm hoping me saying this is going to help people who are really in the arena of trying to like come to terms with their own nature and their own light, instead of you know turning away when they meet the obstacles and resistance no those are allies those are like pointing that you're on the right path
0: Yeah, and I have to tell you, many, you know, I've 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 had the opportunity to interview many, many people who are peak performers in whatever field they are. And many of them say the same thing that the the more good you do, you know, the the closer you get to your goal, the more resistance there is. So the science behind this, whether you call it the law of the universe or or whatever it may be, that is there. I mean, and 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 for you to again, once again emphasize it at a whole different level. From a scientific and from a personal level just i think reinforces the fact that this is a a a universal law that yeah is inflexible totally no totally
1: and the thing is is you know what i'm pointing out so if we don't come to terms with what people or whatever name you call it in the apocryphal text of the bible it's, it's all, a, you know, they point at Watiko, they call it um, counter, the, the counterfeiting spirit. And interestingly, that got edited out of the Bible. And I point out in my next book that Watiko was on the editorial board of the Bible, making sure that the counterfeiting spirit phrase got edited out, because it can't stand to be seen. And what the counterfeiting spirit is, is that it doesn't have any preempty at all, but it's a master enforcement. So it puts us on, it will impersonate us. And by putting us on, you know, has a double meaning of um, putting us on like a suit of clothes, but it'll, it'll trick us, it'll fool us. That's the put us on. And then we then, if we're not awake in that moment, we'll identify with the spirits, its image, of who we are, of who, who, who we are. Limited, oh, I'm wounded, I'm traumatized, I'm not creative or whatever we then step into its image of ourselves, And as soon as we do that, then we're modern. Because you see, the thing about Watiko, it can't possess our true nature, because our true nature is beyond being possessed. But what Watiko does, it sets up this simulation of who we are. It impersonates us as soon as we identify with its simulation, then it has us. Because then it possesses, then it can possess that. And then it's like, we become the puppet on a string and it's controlling the strings. And um, the point is this, is that by whatever name we call it, and in fairy tales, it's important to find the name of the demon. When I'm pointing at, yeah, like, you know, it doesn't have to be Rokiko, it can be any name that really objectifies and speaks to your mind and helps you to have the recognition of this energy, that if we as a species don't come to terms with Rokiko or whatever name we call it, we're we're totally doing. It. There's no question about that. Um, but yet, encoded into what Watiko spirit, like I've been saying, it's it, it's offering us, it's helping us to wake up to the dream-like nature, and it's it's showing us the, the, uh, how important the psyche is in creating our experience. It being a dream, you know, the origin of dreams is the psyche. And so the point is, is that what it's is actually when we have the recognition of it, it's unlocking the creative spirit that it's, in, because it doesn't have creativity, but it'll like plug into our creativity and inspire us to be creative in a way that feeds in and pulls us, okay? So that's pointing out that the real core for Artico is for any of us to really plug in to um, our creative nature. And then particularly when we connect with other people who do that, and we get in face with each other, that's where we discover we, could, we can, we can change, that, change the way we dream. And that's not an a new rule. That's like what this is all about. And that's to actually realize that we can participate in our own education.
0: So Paul, what would you say uh, from a percentage basis out of a hundred people, out of a thousand people, out of a million people, how many people understand this? Well, from one point
1: of view, like I would say everyone does. Deep down, our nature understands itself, and our nature—we've already had realization, you know. And and people are presenting a very convincing—I call it like the Halloween costume. They're they're you know presenting a very seductively convincing Halloween costume that they don't understand it, and um, you know. So I mean, your question is a a, really—it's a—it's a—it's an interesting question. Because from one point of view, I could say, oh, many people don't, or most people don't, or one out of a hundred do, or whatever. But from another point of view, um, this, this universe is a dream that's pulsing in and out of the void every nanosecond, recreating itself anew. And how am I, as a dreamer, going to dream it? Am I going to dream that, oh, people really don't get it, and then I have to try to enlighten them? Well, if I'm doing that, well then who's the one who's asleep? Is me because their nature is to be awake. So what I've learned to do, and my teachers taught me this. An example being when I would go to my teachers, I met these two of my teachers. Um, they have a monastery, right? That's my thing. So you can get to meet them. And um, I was, you know, they were in New York and I had gotten out of the last hospital and I was deeply, deeply suffering from the trauma not just from my father, but then from the hospitalization. And I would go to them like every two days for years, telling them the pain, the suffering, and the demons and people. And um, at a certain point, I realized they weren't taking me seriously. I mean, they were honoring what I was saying, but they weren't getting hooked by it. They weren't seeing me in this limited state. They were seeing me in my homeless. They were. You know, the call that they were in a relationship to was, you know, a healed, full, awakened call. And by them seeing me that way, they could only see me that way because they were in touch with that part of themselves. That created a bridge that helped me to step into that part of me, you know. And um, so I, what I realized is that that's what I do with people. If I get entranced by their Halloween costumes, what I call it, i get into the movie part then I'm colluding with their woman. And that's what a lot of therapists do. Well, I can help you with that. But they're still like solidifying the person who's being wounded. But if you actually see who they are, they're in their wholeness, and you can only do that if you're in touch with your own wholeness, you are helping them to snap out of the spell of imagining that they, they're, that they have a problem. Because that's the inside of the Buddha, in essence. The Buddha realized that our situation is not problematic in the
0: way we've been imagining it. You know, that's that's the realization of Buddha in essence. So it it, I'm just trying to get to the, you know, the, the base of this, you know, the most basic form of like in our current climate right now, you know, what do you say to people? What can you offer to? I don't know if we call it dispel this
1: or to yeah. understand it. Right. Well, the thing about Watiko, there is, you know, one of the things that I I do in my work, I'm continually circumambulating it and describing it in an imaginative way in as many many ways as I can imagine, you know, because as soon as you say, oh, it's this, well, then it's not that. It's something else, and, um, you know, it's not in a particular form. And, um, but one way of understanding Watiko is that it's a form of blindness. Okay, and it's a peculiar form of blindness. It's a form of blindness that actually believes that it's sighted. And not only does it believe it's sighted, it believes it's more sighted than people who actually see. And um, so what's going on in the world, it's really um, the real fundamental aspect with the polarization in the world you know, and what Tico feeds off of separation and polarization and fear with the polarization in the body politic right now, it's not productive to try to convince somebody who's saying in a different way than you are, oh, no, they really can bring in evidence. In fact, it doesn't make a difference because um, to, if you're preaching the light to people whose eyes are blind, it's not going to help. So then what I point out in my work is that uh, a better strategy is to teach people the art of seeing, how to see. And, and that's really interesting. I mean, that opens up a whole deeper conversation because, okay, that sounds great, but w- w- what does that mean? Like, how do you do that? And one thing that comes to mind, so many of us have outsourced our own experience, and what I mean We don't see ourselves. We see ourselves through the imagined eyes of how we imagine other people see us. So we've outsourced our sense of self to others. And the idea of taking back that projection and actually seeing through our own eyes, you know, that's this this radical shift. So it involves, you know, really um, connecting with our own, because, you know, I just want to bring in um, quantum physics. And I wrote a book about quantum physics, This quantum physics, and I'm happy to describe this, is offering, has discovered, the medicine for what you can. Um, and, you know, one of the things about quantum physics is that it's pointing out the act of perception is a key part of the universe. So as we, in the moment that we are perceiving the universe, we're playing this crucial function in the creation of the universe via our act of perception. And that's something I could say a lot more about.
0: So, okay. Um, and, and I'm really glad you brought up the, the science part of this because I think one naturally goes to, you know, if, if, if people think this is hokey or whatever they want to think, um, the fact that you're able to talk to the science of that, you know, um, is I think very beneficial for people to hear. So yes, if we could get into that a little bit, um, and that was your book called The Quantum Revelation, is that correct?
1: Right, right, totally. Yeah, yeah. And I'm happy to do that. In essence, because I'm not a physicist at all. And um, but I'm just somebody who at a certain point when I came in contact with quantum physics pretty early on after my awakening, and I began to realize, oh my god, they're describing this this world that maps on to the universe that I was experiencing when you know, I'd snapped out of a consensus reality spell and began to experience all these impossible things. Quantum physics was describing that, and so in essence, quantum physics, you know, came into our world, you know, hundred years ago, more or less. And before it, it it emerged in our world and in our minds, you know, the pre-quantum physics is this thought: this universe existed, objectively and they were separate, and they were passive observers, just trying to study it and Explore it and try to understand how it works. Quantum physics came along and it empirically proved that the act of observing the universe actually influences the universe observed. That's radical. That's a description of the dream. Think about it you're in a dream, nothing but inside your psyche. If you change your perspective in the dream, the dream has no choice but to spontaneously shape shift because the dream is nothing other than your own mind. That's what quantum physics began to point at that this universe is imbued with mind, with consciousness. Physical reality and consciousness are not separate, just in the dream. And so quantum physics, by by pointing out and by proving that the act of observing actually creates the universe observed, that's observed, it's pointing out that the act of observation is creative, that we have this unimaginable, massive, vast creative agency and power at our disposal. 24-7, we have it right now. But to the extent we aren't aware of it, then, you know, think about a dream. If you're not aware of your creative potency, then external, seemingly external figures in the dream are more than happy to pick up your power and turn it against you. And um, so what I'm pointing at is that the quantum physics by showing that the act of observation is creative, it's unlocking in us this unimaginably, you know, unthinkably vast creative power And that because we haven't known we have it or we don't know how to to implement it, it's like in a boomerang turning against us. And if I could just say a quick thing, because one way of understanding this, you're in in a dream at night, whatever viewpoint you're holding, the dream is reflecting it back because the dream is nothing other than your mind. So if you're holding a viewpoint that this universe is objective in the dream, the dream being a reflection of the mind that's observing it has no choice but to shape shift and reflect back, giving you all the evidence, confirming your viewpoint that the world you're in is objective. So now you have the proof of your viewpoint, so you get more fixed in your viewpoint. And the more fixed in your viewpoint you are of the world being objective, the more the world will appear as objective ad infinitum. That's an infinitely self-perpetuating feedback loop whose origin is your own mind, and you've literally entranced yourself by your own creative power. That's what I'm pointing at. That's what he And quantum physics comes along and is pointing out there's no objective fault. That's a nonsensical idea that only exists as an idea in your head and it doesn't have any parallel to reality. When you really inquire into that, it can help not only to unlock your creative power, but then it points to hey, who is the subject because there's no object. I as a subject need an object to be in relationship with to have to be a subject. If there's no objective world, then who am I? So, so quantum physics has promoted itself unwittingly to become a spiritual path, to shed light on our nature. And um, yeah, so anyways. And the point is, is that what Tico it feeds off of when we concretize the dream and we think it's other than ourselves, and then we react to our projections as if they're separate, and then we become conditioned and programmed, And the whole origin of that is our own mind there's nothing doing anything to us and we're doing it to ourselves that in essence is what people we, we hypnotize ourselves by our genius and what I'm pointing at is that when you see that process go on be a creative genius this is what alchemy is talking about this is what Buddhism, this is Gnosticism, this is Kabbalah every wisdom tradition in the history of this planet is pointing at this I'm just a translator as a Western modern person trying to like translate this this you know indigenous wisdom, into an understandable psychological idiom so that it can be helpful and take on board into our psyche.
0: And Paul, are the powers to be fearful of, of this, of uncovering this, of yeah. talking about well,
1: this? Yeah, my, my sense, the powers that be, um, see, quantum physics, you know, I mean, Albert Einstein himself, who is one of the founders of quantum physics, quantum physics who actually famously said um, that, you know, that quantum physics is so uncommonly important it should be everyone's concern. So it's like such an unbelievable, and we're, even though it's 100 years, it's in the first beginning stages, the theme of that. You know, there. I mean, one thing that about quantum physics, physics and then you'll see how the power step into this, There's all this controversy around what it means, right? But the one thing there's no controversy about is that quantum physics is the greatest discovery in all history. No question at all in the realm of science. Nobody will argue that. What the controversy is, is what does it mean? And Einstein himself, being one of the founders, couldn't embrace that quantum physics, he was still attached, and he openly said this, this is my opinion, that, yeah, he was attached to that. There was an objective world out there. And that he couldn't embrace, no, there's no objective world, i.e. that we're actually creating the world by our observing of it as we're being created by it. And that he couldn't embrace that this was a dream. Now, the powers that be, my sense, they're very aware of, um, you know, the, the power that's encoded in quantum physics. They certainly don't want people to understand that because they would empower people we would, if we take on board and take online in our psyche what quantum physics is showing us, we become empowered, empowered dreamers. And the powers that be don't want that. And, but even, I would point out, even beyond the powers that be keeping this, and in my book, I talk about this, they're keeping this, this knowledge sort of, you know, uh, hidden in secret in a certain way, what's even more keeping us asleep is that the majority of people in their mind they can't embrace the good news that quantum physics is freely offering us. We're so entrained in this limited identity and being conditioned in this limited state that here people, you know, like myself, as just you know, a spokesperson, are trying to offer this, you know, this unbelievable this this insight. And the realm of possibility is unimaginable, and most people can't even consider it because it's off their radar. That's, I think, what's stopping people from really connecting the revelations that are emerging.
0: Yeah, it's just fascinating. And uh, I know a friend of yours, Catherine uh, Austin Fitz, wrote the forward to your book. Yeah, yeah. she's been in the news over the last uh, year or so. Can you talk a little bit about? um uh, I guess her influence on on you or your friendship and how how her world kind of plays into what you're revealing. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, so I'm really,
1: you know, really fortunate. I mean I'm good friends with Katherine for a number of years. And you know, um she really helped to teach me because she's a financial person and she really helped to speak teach me how, like, what I call Watico is playing out in the financial realm and in economics. And um, because, you know, in the economic system, that's one of the main vectors that Watico because the thing about Huatico, it, um it's all about, you know, the centralized power and control. And what Catherine is pointing out, and the thing that I love about Catherine, I mean, you know, not only is she just an, Far as a person, just an unbelievably amazingly beautiful person. But um, she's somebody who's actually taking into account evil. She's dealing with evil. So many people, they just are avoiding it or, oh, I don't want to focus on that. And unwittingly by doing that, they're feeding evil because you know what? Tico feeds off of, of us turning a blind eye to it. And Catherine doesn't do that. She really is tracking evil. As am I, I was I was joking last night. I I was giving a lecture, my first lecture in the year and a half of the lockdown, and I was in the question and answer. I, I randomly said, "Oh yeah, like when I find books on evil, it's like a, a, a topic. I just love deepening my understanding of it." And and Catherine is like that too, and she's also really connected with like the spiritual realm. And I really, really appreciate that because when you deal with energies like the darkness, you know, the powers and principalities in the Bible, not just personal shadow, but archival darkness, you can't really, if you're not connected with the spiritual realm, which is really your nature, then you don't stand a chance, really. And so I just love that about Catherine that she, you know, just about more than anybody is, you know, this expert on the criminality and the corruption and evil that plays out in, in the world. And then it's super optimistic and open hearted and loving. I just, I'm, I'm just really inspired by that.
0: And we've we talked about the powers of be uh, several times now, but I'm just, as you talk about that, Catherine, is, is it likely that Many people aren't trying to be evil per se or, uh, you know, a a nuisance, they just they're just not aware, yeah. Well, the thing is, even the powers that be,
1: you know, we think of the people like the Illuminati or the Global Elite or the one percent or whatever, you know, they themselves are just pawns in the hands of the archetype, so you know. The point is that there's an the archetypal higher dimensional process and people are just getting enlisted to play roles. So yeah, a lot of people, well-meaning, good people, are just turning a blind eye and they're participating in the system and getting whatever it benefits, and they're colluding. They're unwittingly in collusion with with go with, with the evil that they're actually, you know, consciously trying to fight. So one of the things I point out, I always try to shine light on. The place in us where we're complicit, and yeah, so there are people. We see the way what people works. It's an archetypal energy, and what that means, it can take over a person, literally possess a person for a moment or for a lifetime, and then they become the outpost. They become the information of you know that energy, and um, and by being that, they're this filled with information. They're showing us what this formless, higher-dimensional energy of Watiko is like in human form. And people who are so possessed are oblivious. They oftentimes, they never feel more myself. And they just think they're acting on their own impulses. You see, the thing about Watiko, it's like this this worm that gets in your body and secretes chemicals so that you start to crave food that feeds it, and it grows bigger, and it eventually kills you. And, and um you know, just, I, I get it it just makes it so complicated because of that yeah 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 and then you see people acting out against their own best interest right. you know, supporting politicians who are actually not serving them and that's an expression that's an outer reflection of the watiko the workings inside their psyche and so yeah there are people who just unwittingly you know with the best of intentions thinking they're doing good are oblivious to the fact that they're they've offered themselves to be an instrument for whatiko. You know. Now, if I could just say one thing too, because it's actually really helpful. Jung himself was super switched on to whatiko, but he didn't know the name obviously, and he called it totalitarian psychosis. He called it a number of different names, but he was tracking the same energy, and that was his phrase. And that's an interesting phrase because the way whatiko works in a psyche, it creates a shadow government. It, it gets into the executive function of the psyche and it actually subsumes all the healthy parts of the psyche to serve the pathogen, to serve itself. And then it'll colonize the psyche, creating the shadow government, dictating to the ego, and all the while the person has no idea. And that inner process that I just described, that's the inner working of the vortico, that's literally getting played out in the outer world, you know, through the totalitarianism that's creeping all over the globe. Because the thing about Watika, what makes it so like just psychedelic and mind blowing is that it's an inner disease of the soul that explicates itself through the medium of the outside world. It's as if this inner disease in the collective unconscious is somehow able to extend itself out into the world and configure outer events so as to synchronistically reflect the state of a psyche under its thrall. Okay, that's that's amazing. That's that's like a dream. What I'm describing, where the outer circumstance is reflecting the state of the inner person, that's a dream. So the point is, is that encoded in Watiko, it's helping us to wake up in the dreamlike nature, you know. And so it's that idea, that quantum idea, that hidden encoded in the pathogen
0: is the medicine. Wow, that's deep, Paul. It's it's deep, but it's not. You know what I mean? Like I I I I want to learn more about this because mm-hmm. it. It just, it seems so logical. <laughs> and um, I, I, I guess, you know, I'm, I'm trying to put myself in the place of our viewers and listeners too, thinking what questions they might have for you. So I have to ask one question, which goes back to, I think my very first question. And You were talking about um, LSD, which is a mind altering drug. Mm-hmm. Do you think that played into this awakening of yours, um, did do, do you feel that impacted?
1: Oh, I'm sure. Oh, totally. You know, whether it's LSD or just any any plant medicines. You know, LSD is not plant medicine; it's synthetic. But you know, that can really, really help. Indigenous cultures all throughout time, they they implemented plant medicines to expand consciousness. And and the thing which is cool is that when I was younger, they really helped. Whereas now I, you know, I'm a Tibetan Buddhist practitioner and yeah, I'll occasionally do like that medicine, but once, you know, every long long while in the sense that once you see, then it's up to you to integrate what you've been shown, you know, and you don't want to get attached to just doing the medicine over and over again. But yeah, no, that, that's absolutely, um, you know, part of it. But even I want to say too, you see, I'm, my life, is, I'm kind of, embodying a certain archetypal pattern what i mean by that is you know i was almost killed by the the evil that came my way and like i said it destroyed my family it created this wound i feel like i have a scar you know when you encounter archetypal evil it changes you and i openly share i feel like i'm operating at under one percent of my capacity you know in the sense of i was so you know almost destroyed by what came my way but yet you see the archetype of the shaman or like the healer who has a wound, the wounded healer in essence has to do with when you have that encounter with the darkness and you become traumatized and you develop your wound, if you stay stuck in that, well then, you know, you can't really be of help for people. But the idea is from that experience, if you're able to extract the medicine and then help other people, who are going through their experience of pain and suffering and darkness. That's the deeper pattern of the wounded healer and of the shaman. And, you know, and we're all wounded healers or shamans in training. And the, the idea of that archetype is, yeah, the, the shaman, when they work with someone, they literally take on the illness. They taking it on has a double meaning. They have it out with the illness and they take it within themselves and they fall ill. And I've had a shamanic illness for 40 years, you know, I got unbelievably sick from the abuse from my father. And then on top of that psychiatry, I was just over my head in, in you know, in trauma. And yet, slowly, slowly, as I connected with myself and I'm discovering my, you know, my whatever, like the, the, the my inner voice and in my work, I'm more and more able to offer something. and. So often, every day, really, I get emails from people who are coming across from the work and they're saying, oh, my God, it's changed my life. It's helped me to understand and found the words for what I was going through, whatever. And that's the deeper pattern that all of us, it helps us because we've all been made sick by the collective insanity. Just like a shaman, we've taken on the illness and we've fallen sick. The idea is to not stay stuck in that, but to have that experience be the portal through which you connect with your deeper healing. And so it's not just me. Yeah, that's, uh, I've been doing that in my own life for years, but that's what the deeper archetypal pattern of the wounded killer, and we're all wounded killers, that is being offered to all of us.
0: Wow, it's just fascinating. Um, your new book, which is called Chico, Healing the Mind Virus That Plagues Our World, that'll be coming out later this year. And then you said you have another one coming out in in 2022. Can you give us a little hint about each of those books, and what we can look forward to. Sure, so the one um,
1: that's coming out this fall is really, and keep in mind, they were two books that were one book. I just gave the publisher, you know, this like, huge 600-page manuscript, and it's all about Watiko, because I just continually having these, you know, insights and deepening understandings of Watiko, and they asked me to cut it and make it into two books, so I did. So the first one is really about, um, you know how all the different spiritual traditions are pointing at Watiko in their own way and not only spiritual traditions but artists thinkers philosophers and, and you know because in in, in the first Watiko book the one that you just you know held up before that one is really introducing the term um huatico, and really just trying to shed light on it so people can see it as much as i can But then, once my understanding continued to deepen, then the second book is really about, um, you know, the nature of the blindness, showing really um, distinguishing. There's all these different types of the blindnesses, you know, because Watiko, we're, we're blind to that, we're blind. We're blind to the light, we can't see the light. We're blind to the dark, we can't see the dark. We're blind to that Watiko is actually a gift. There are all these elements of the blindness that I unfold in the next book. As well as pointing out whether it's Hawaiian kahuna or Kabbalah or mystical Christianity or Buddhism or Philip K. Dick, this on and on. I'm Sri Orbindo, there's all these teachers and creative artists and thinkers and spiritual traditions and the Bible, they're literally pointing at Watiko. And so I'm trying to offer all of those articulations to show, help people to see it. Because, like I keep on saying, when you see it, it has no power over you. But if you don't see it, it will kill you. Now the book coming out um 2022, that's really let's see how to describe that. That's basically pointing out that the whatiko is this revelation. Revelation. Just like the quantum revelation, the Watiko revelation is the tentative title of the book. And I'm pointing out that Watiko is is a revelation. It's like it's a sacred revelation. It's showing us everything we need to know um, to to wake up to the dreamlike nature and to our dreamlike nature, and um, you know. And in the in the book coming out next year, I really go into the whole shamanic trip, and I really point out that through our wounds and trauma and suffering, that that's the way into understanding um, what I'm pointing at, instead of it being the obstacle to our life, it's actually the doorway to our life. And so that's the next book. And, you know, who knows, I might even write books after that because it, it's like a gift that keeps on giving, this Watiko idea. You know, it's just so profound. And and I want to say it's getting out to the world more and more and more. I mean, I've been, you know, like my Waltipo book, uh, um, when you he up, uh, it's out eight and a half years and it's selling more and more and more every And um and more and more people, you know, people every all the time are emailing, oh, this guy is mentioning what you know that person was talking about it, it's in this article, it's actually entering the vernacular. Because finding the name for the offending demon, that's you know, that's super important in like a nook or a fairy because then you objectify it and helps you see it, and that takes away its power.
0: Wow, Paul, this has been a just a uh, enlightening conversation. Um, I I so appreciate it. I hope this is not our last conversation. I hope it's the first of many to be able to share with uh, with the world uh, your views. Um, I'd like to ask this question to every guest before I let them go, and that is, uh, you know, you have a lot of work to do, uh, uh, but at the end of the day, what is your mission? What what type of legacy do you want to leave? Um, wow, that's an interesting question. Because
1: um, it's, it's interesting. When I write my books, I have a strong feeling of people in the future who are going to read the books, who are actually dreaming me up to find the words that I'm using in writing the book. And so, you know, I have... Um, a clear sense that what the books that I'm writing, yeah, they're for current day and and they're also for people in the future. I, I have no doubt about that, you know, because it's reflected back to me a lot that, oh, I'm maybe a little bit ahead of my time. But the idea is is that I think what I would like when people think of me is that, yeah, here's somebody, you know, and I wrote a memoir really going into, you know, my encounter with evil. and. So I think it would be cool for me if people thought of me as, yeah, here's somebody who had a direct, a close encounter with evil, with archetypal evil. And, um, you know, and it was horrible. And the you know, people who know me now can't even imagine what I had to go through for so many years and actually um, came out of it with an open heart and with love and compassion and with awareness. And even more than that, was able to translate the experience into something that's helpful. That I think would be a cool way to be remembered.
0: Paul Levy, wow. Welcome to the American Real Family. If people want to reach out to you, if they're looking for your counsel or if they want you to speak at their event, what's the best way to reach you?
1: Yeah, so the best way, so um, awakeninthedream.com is my website. And on the website, there's a ton of free articles because I just want this information out. And then, you know, if you want to buy an autograph copy of the book, or, or you can set up a session with me that you can do that. But then you can contact me. There's an email way to email
0: me from the website. And that would really be the way um, to do that. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I've I've learned so much. I know our audience has too. And uh, again, welcome and I hope to see you again real soon. I would love that, Roger. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into American Real. Be sure to visit our website, AmericanReal.tv, or search for us on iTunes or YouTube for past episodes. While you're there, please rate us or leave us a review as that helps others find our show. I am truly grateful and appreciate all of your support. If you'd like to be part of our inner circle or want one-on-one coaching, check out the American Real Learning Academy where we have self-help groups and courses so you can build the best you. We also have a new Facebook group where you can connect with high achievers from around the world. If you want to go even further, maybe you're determined to write your own book or launch your own podcast, contact me today to see if we can help. You can reach me through Instagram or Facebook or email me directly at roger at americanreal.tv. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next week.